0: Welcome to an episode of Explain Blockchain. This podcast is about blockchain technologies and its latest developments. My name is Peter and let's roll the intro. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Explain Blockchain. Today I will talk about wallets. I will give you a definition of what a wallet is. I will talk about what are deterministic and non-deterministic wallets. I will also talk about the full node and the simplified payment verification wallets or SPV wallets. And eventually I will also talk about different types of wallets and I will explain which are the most secure ones and which are the most easy to use ones. So let's get started. Firstly I would also like to say that again for this episode I found most of the information that I will give you now in the book Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos. I just come back to this book over and over again so if you really want to learn more about what I tell you here or different topics I highly recommend to either buy the book Mastering Bitcoin or you can also find it on GitHub because it is an open source project and it's freely available to anyone. So first of all I would like to give you a definition of what a wallet actually is. A wallet is an application that serves as the primary user interface. The wallet controls access to a user's money, it manages keys and addresses, it tracks the balance and it creates and signs transactions. I took this from the Mastering Bitcoin book. So a wallet is just a software, a program that controls your private keys, your private and public keys. And whenever you make a transaction, you use your wallet. And you could also make a transaction by hand by writing the code yourself, but this would be quite unhandy because a wallet already does it for you. So a wallet takes away or abstracts away all the functionality that includes creating a transaction, signing a transaction, keeping track of the unspent transaction outputs for you, so also your balance, And the wallet also helps you to restore your wallet and your addresses and your accounts whenever you lose them. The first differentiation has to be made between what a deterministic and a non deterministic wallet is. So a non deterministic wallet just keeps a couple of private keys ready to use for you. And an example for this would be the wallet included in the Bitcoin core software. So what it does is whenever you create an account, it actually creates around a 100 private keys for you. But the problem with the non-deterministic wallet is that the keys that it holds are not in any way related. They're just randomly created. So when you want to back up your wallet, you have to back up every 100 or more keys. And this can be quite tedious. And for this reason, people created a deterministic wallet. And in the deterministic wallet, you have one master key, which is also called the seed. You might have seen it when you created anywhere a wallet or an account that you have between 12 and 24 words that you have to write down and remember. And these 24 words are actually the seed, the master key. And what this deterministic wallet does for you is it takes the master key, the seed, and from this it creates multiple children seeds by derivating your key. I will explain this a little bit more in detail later. The most common used key derivation technique is the hierarchical deterministic derivation technique, also in short just HD, so you have an HD wallet. And the HD or hierarchical deterministic wallet creates for every cryptocurrency for which you want to create an account an own passphrase, an own password or private key that is derived from the seed, from the master key. And whenever you lose your wallet, but you have still the master key, you can always recreate this private key. So there's one master key to rule them all. And then there are children keys that are assigned to certain cryptocurrency wallets. And there are actually over 160 different cryptocurrencies that all use the same standard. So with one master key, you can create accounts with over 160 different cryptocurrencies. And then, once you create an account for a cryptocurrency, let's say Bitcoin, then you also create a child key for every transaction you make. But then, whenever you make a transaction, the remaining Bitcoin that will get sent back to your wallet, if there are any, will be actually sent to another key that is also derived from your Bitcoin account key. So, with every transaction, you create a new key, and that means that you have a better privacy through this. Because if you would only have one private key, that also means one public key, people can track you and also can track your transactions on the whole blockchain. So after a while, if they can connect your public key to you, to your person, to your identity, then they know that whenever you make a transaction or whenever you receive funds. And to avoid this, a new key is created every time when you make a transaction. And to that new key, then the remaining Bitcoin are sent. So this is in general the hierarchical deterministic wallet. It is called hierarchical because you have this hierarchy of the master key, the account keys and then also each transaction key. But let's start at the beginning again because whenever you open up a program that you just downloaded, that is a wallet, you first of all will get 12 to 24 random English words. And these words are called a mnemonic. But how do you create these mnemonics? So first of all, you take some random sequence, or just some random data, that is of 128 to 256 bits. That means it is just a number between two to the power of 122 to two to the power of 256. And then you create a checksum, so you create a unique ID using a hash function of your sequence, and you add it to the sequence. So you lengthen the sequence. Next, you just divide this whole number into sections of 11 bits. And then you map each 11 bits to a word in a predefined dictionary of around 2,000 words. And then every mnemonic that you get out is actually a part of the master key. And then if you take every word together and you translate them back into bytes, then you have your master key again. And this is also how your HD or hierarchical deterministic wallet create the accounts in every cryptocurrency and also the transaction private keys for every transaction for you. It uses an algorithm that is called a derivation key algorithm. So for example it takes your master key and then it just lengthens this key. So it takes for example a 12 word key in and then it lengthens it to 24 words. And then it takes one half of the 24 words for, let's say, the Bitcoin account and the other 12 words for the Ethereum account. And this derivation, this creating of children keys, is deterministic. So whenever you have your master key again and you create again these 24 words from the 12 words, you will always get back the 24 words. So it's not random, it's deterministic. This is the derivation function. And now I would like to talk more about what a full node and what a simplified payment verification wallet is, also in short SPV. So first of all, the full node is a wallet that stores the whole blockchain in its entirety. And this full node mostly is the Bitcoin Core wallet, so the wallet that is included in the software. And whenever you start the Bitcoin Core software and you create an account, the full node actually starts to download the whole blockchain, so all the blocks, all the transactions, and also starts to verify it. At the moment, so in January 2018, the Bitcoin blockchain was at around 150 gigabyte. So this whole process can take a very long time. It can take up to multiple weeks to just download the whole blockchain. And the advantage of this is that you as a private person can verify and download the whole blockchain since the very first Genesis block. And this gives you the certainty that no Bitcoins were created out of thin air and that everything is according to the rules. And the disadvantages of this are obvious. First of all, you have the storage problem. You have, at the moment, 150 gigabytes to store, and you have to have a device that receives and verifies every single new transaction and new block continuously. And this is why, already, Satoshi Nakamoto in the very original white paper proposed the Simplified Payment Verification Wallet. And this wallet doesn't store the whole blockchain but only the block headers, which are in size much smaller than the whole blockchain size. The first thing that the SPV wallet does is it asks the full nodes for the transaction that includes the wallet's address in either the input or the output. And then the full nodes send back all the transactions that are actually interesting to the SPV wallet, and the SPV wallet then can from then on track your balance and also receive the newest transactions you make. But the downside is that you using an SPV wallet cannot verify or store the whole blockchain. So you are somewhat dependent on other full nodes to give you the right transactions and the right blocks. This issue is mitigated by receiving blocks and transactions from multiple full nodes. So you hope that at least some of this, these full nodes will give you the right transaction and the right blocks. However, there is a problem that whenever the SPV wallet asks for the transactions from a full node, that the full node then will know what the exact wallet of the SPV wallet is. And that also makes you, again, easily to track. And this problem is solved using so-called bloom filters. And with these filters, the SPV wallet doesn't ask for transactions with your specific address in it, but rather asks for transactions that match a certain pattern. And the SPV creates the unique bloom filter for your wallet by using all the public keys, the transaction IDs, and also witness scripts that it has under its control. So in the very beginning, when you just create a new wallet, the only thing you have is the public key that you can use. And bloom filters are built by using a variable sized array, that means a list of numbers, that in this case, either zero or one, and a set of hash functions. The first time the bloom filter is built, you take your public key, and for every element that is in your public key, so for every letter, every number, you run it through every hash function that you specified, and because you use different hash functions, you will get different results back. Then, for example, let's say your first element in your public key is an A, and then you run the A through all three, let's say your three hash functions, and you get three results back. And these three results are, for example, 1, 7, and 11. What you then do is you put a 1 in your array, so in your list of zeros and ones, at the indices of the result. So you would put a 1 in slot 1, a 1 in slot 7, and a 1 in slot 11. And then you repeat this whole thing for every element in your public address. Eventually you will end up with an array of a list of numbers that have either a 1 or a 0 in it. So like a list of ones and zeros. You then send this bloom filter together with the, the set of functions, the hash functions to the full nodes you're connected to. And what these full nodes do is they take all the data of new transactions and blocks and run every element of the data again through the hash functions. Take the result and check whether for every result you have put a one in the list of zeros and ones. So let's say that they get, they have a transaction with a public key that starts with an A. They run it again through every three functions, get 1, 7, and 11 out. And then they check whether in your list of zeros and ones, you have a 1 in the first slot, in the seventh slot, and in the eleventh slot. And if this is the case, then they will send this transaction to you, to your SPV wallet. Your SPV wallet then will check this transaction, whether it actually matches your, for example, public key. And if yes, it will use it. If not, it will just disregard it. And this helps you to not give away your, for example, public address and all your information. So it's very hard to track you in such a way because everything you give away is just a pattern or a filter. And depending on how detailed your Bloom filter is, so how much data you ran through it and saved in it, it is harder or easier to know what your actual address is. But the full node can never say for sure what is your public address of all the, for example, public addresses it's sent back to your wallet. So this helps with keeping your privacy when using an SPV wallet. The security of the SPV wallets is not significantly lower than that of the full node. You still store all your private keys locally, so hopefully on your device, and you still verify every transaction that you receive, and you also verify that a transaction is in a certain block by rehashing the block header that you get from the full node and also checking the Merkle root of the block together with your transaction. Again, I talked about the Merkle root and hashing the block header and so on in previous episodes. So if you have questions about this, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the episode. So by checking the Merkle root, the SPV wallet cannot be convinced that a transaction exists that actually doesn't exist because it will check the hash that it receives as the transaction ID against the Merkle root that it gets from the block header. So the transaction need actually needs to be in the Merkle root path that creates the Merkle root in the block header. And then it also takes the block header and hashes it and checks whether the next block header included that particular hash. And it does so for the following six or multiple blocks. And if this chain of blocks is correct and valid then the spv wallet can be sure that your transaction exists and is part of the block that the full node said it is part of and then also that your block is somewhere in the blockchain and it's buried so to say by newer blocks however there is the problem that transactions can be hidden from an spv wallet so a full node might just say Well, I got the transaction that is actually for you, or that matches your bloom filter, but I will just not send it to you. So this could mean that there could, for example, be a double-spend transaction. So the SPV wallet might think that it still has a transaction of 5 Bitcoin, but in fact it was already spent by somebody maybe who stole your private keys, but that attacker doesn't want you to know before the transaction went through. And this again is mitigated by connecting to multiple full nodes and just hoping that one of the full node eventually will send you the transactions that I actually meant for you. All right, so, so far we talked about the hierarchical deterministic wallet, and we talked about the full node wallet against the SPV, the Simplified Payment Verification wallet. So next I would like to talk about wallet types, and particularly I would like to talk about the security of each type. First of all, the wallet type with probably the best usability, but also the worst security are online wallets. And online wallets are just wallets managed and hosted by a company or a third party. Like, for example, every exchange. So every like Bitfinex, Bitham, Kraken, all of these exchanges actually have a managed and controlled by them wallet for you. The problem with online wallets is that the private keys are actually not under your control. So let's say that you have an account with, for example, Coinbase. Coinbase creates a wallet and manages a wallet for you, but they ultimately have the ultimate access and control over your wallet. And the problem here is that if, for example, Coinbase would be hacked and the attacker would get your private key, then the attacker can just clean out your wallet, just steal all your bitcoins, and you would be left with nothing. And this happened already with the Mt. Gox exchange in 2013-2014. And I would highly recommend that you go back and read up on Mt. Gox because it will give you a nice example of what happens if the most used exchange on the planet is hacked and literally all the money of the customers is gone. So those were online wallets, hosted and managed by a third party. It's very usable, it's very easy for you to use, but it's ultimately the least secure way of storing your Bitcoin because you don't have control over your private keys. The next wallet type that is more secure, however also slightly less usable, is the desktop or the mobile app or wallet. And these wallets are just applications, for example, apps on iOS or Android, or also apps or software on Windows or Mac or Linux PC. And what they do is also they create an account for you, they create the private keys for you, they create hierarchical deterministic structure of your keys, and they make it easy for you to send and receive funds and also just keep track of your transactions. Desktop and mobile wallets create and control your private keys. And these private keys are also mostly somehow accessible to you as a user. And if they're accessible to you, then they're also somehow accessible to hackers. So if you are concerned that somebody might hack your computer or iPhone or Android device and steal the private keys from your hard drive, Then I would recommend a hardware wallet, which is a dedicated hardware device. For example, Ledger or Trezor or Keykeep are the three big companies to to know about. And they create a physical hardware device and they could look like a little USB stick with an LCD screen in it with Ledger, for example, or like a little hand scanner with Trezor, for example. And these devices also, again, manage and control your accounts but the private keys that they store is ultimately secured. So the idea is that nobody can breach this particular device and retrieve the private keys from it, not even you as a user. And this makes it the almost most secure storage for your private keys because everything they do is just to protect that nobody ever gets your private keys, not even you. You can always retrieve your wallets and your accounts by using the master key that is under your control, but if somebody gets, for example, your Ledger or Trezor device in their hand, they cannot breach it, they cannot access it and just read out the data from their storage, for example. So hardware wallets are much less usable than desktop or mobile apps because you have to connect them physically to your computer, also to make transactions, and you always have to have them with you if you want if you want to make transactions, and you also have to ensure that they are physically secured. And the last wallet type I would like to talk about is the simple paper wallet type. And it's the most easiest, the most simple wallet type that you can think of. It is simply your private key written on a piece of paper. So if you think about the master key, the mnemonics, the words that you write down if you create a new wallet, it would simply be these English words or words in general written down on a piece of paper. And if you keep this piece of paper secure from the eyes of any attacker, then it's ultimately secured. Nobody can ever get your private key and get access to your funds. The obvious downside of paper wallets is that if you lose the piece of paper, then you also lose the access to your funds and your money's gone. Therefore, paper wallets can be the most secure wallet that you have, but they're also the least usable and also the most insecure wallet again because if you lose the single piece of paper then everything everything is gone. In general if you think about choosing a bitcoin wallet I can recommend to go to the bitcoin.org website. They have a very good section where they help you to choose your wallet but the wallets recommended on the website are only bitcoin wallets so there are no multi-currency wallets. If you look for such a wallet, I personally can recommend the JAX wallet, Jaxx wallet, J A I'm in no way paid to recommend these people, but they offer around 60 different cryptocurrencies in a single application with a single key. So that's very handy to use. So this was the episode. We first talked about the hierarchical deterministic wallet and then about what the full node wallet is and what the simplified payment verification wallet is, the SPV wallet. And I also went through different types of wallets and how secure each of them is. Thank you very much for listening. Please don't forget to like and subscribe this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. You can always send me a tweet to the handle explainchain or to my personal handle, which is pjulrich, U-L-L-R-I-C-H. Or you can also send me an email via the website, which is explainblockchain.io. Thank you very much for listening and I will see you in the next episode.